Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Well, good morning, Crosslink family. My name is Marty Terrell. I'm the pastor of student ministries here at Crosslink. I'm excited to be able to share the word with you all today. One of the things that you may not know about me is that when I was younger, I loved basketball. I liked playing it. I liked shooting around. I liked practicing. There was even a rap song that was talking about basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way they dribble up and down the court. And I was like, yes, that's me. I love basketball. I would want to play it all the time. I had a basketball goal in my backyard and I would go out there and I would like shoot around and shoot around. And then every now and then I would get kind of tired and I would just say, okay, let me just catch my breath here. I'm going to rest a little bit. We had this little swing set in our backyard with the slide. So sometimes I would just lay on the slide and I would just daydream about my incredible basketball career and what it's going to be like for me in the future. And I would think, you know, wow, maybe one day I can be in the NBA. Yeah, that would be awesome. Maybe one day I can even become the first white Harlem Globetrotter. Yeah, that would be awesome. Okay, maybe one day I'm going to be the one who's like scoring all the points and throwing down slam dunks. I didn't realize at the time I would never grow past five feet, nine inches tall. But in my mind, oh yeah, that's going to be awesome. Maybe I can be the one to hit the big shot at the end of the game. And I was imagining like the countdown and the announcer. I was like, yeah, this is what it's going to be like. It's going to be like five, four, guard comes down the court, passes off to Terrell. Three, two, Terrell squares up to take the shot. One, Terrell lets it fly. Uh, and then swish. And then Terrell makes a shot and there's like confetti and there's streamers and there's music playing and all this incredible stuff is going on. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to be the hero. Never, ever in my mind did I imagine a scenario with the countdown and an announcer saying, five, four, passes off the Terrell. Three, two, Terrell passes to somebody else. One, and that person takes the shot and wins the game, and they're the hero. I never imagined anything like that. I always want to think of myself as the hero. Never did I ever think about being the one who could make somebody else a hero. So in my own little egotistical elementary school mind, yeah, maybe everything wanted is supposed to be all about me. But as I think about that, and as we go to the Bible, I wonder how that same kind of mindset can apply to all of us here today. So today I want to spend a few minutes as we consider this question to ask ourselves, what about me? Am I a hero or a hero maker? A hero, if I'm a hero, everything is basically all about me. I mean, of course, we don't come right out and say that, but in my mind, I'm most concerned about my image, my reputation, my possessions, my career advance, building my kingdom. I want to be the one who takes the shot at the end of the game. But another way of thinking is, if I'm the hero maker, I invest in other people around me to raise up leaders in the hopes that they will go farther than I ever could. 
I step aside and I give other people training, opportunities, and platforms to help them to accomplish great things. If I'm a hero maker, I wanna pass the ball. I wanna see somebody else make the winning shot because I recognize ultimately that my fruit grows on other people's trees. If we were to boil the message down today into just four words, I would say this, be a hero maker. Can y'all repeat that phrase after me? Be a hero maker. We can think about this and we can recognize that's the mindset that Paul has as he writes these words to Timothy that we're gonna look at in scripture. Paul was a passionate non-Christian at the beginning who started off persecuting the church, having believers killed or thrown in jail or whatever it would take to stop the Christian faith from spreading. But then Paul had an encounter with Christ that changed everything. And he used that same passion to build the church, to bring the gospel to the lost and to raise up disciples. So if you have your Bible with you today, and I hope you do, let's open together and let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter two. We'll look at verses one through seven of 2 Timothy chapter two. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the words on the screen for you. Can we stand together out of respect for the reading of God's word? And let's read 2 Timothy two, one through seven. These are Paul's words to his trainee Timothy. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Let's pray together. God, this is your word. And so we seek your help today to understand it, to apply it to our lives to become the disciples that you would want us to be. Lord, I pray that you would work and move in this time. Help us to focus on you and your truth and have your way among us today. We pray, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You all can be seated. So as we think about what we can learn here from these words of Scripture, by way of commenting on this passage, Pastor Stephen Cole makes three observations that I think will be a helpful guide for us as we walk through this material today. The first thing we see that we can pull out of these verses is this. Number one, a person you must be. You have some blanks there in your worship guide. You can fill those in as we work through the message here today. Number one, this is what we see. A person you must be. In the first verse, we see the kind of person we've got to be if we're going to be a hero maker to impact the world around us. Paul says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. A Bible study tip that I learned a while back along the way is whenever you see the word therefore, you should stop and you could ask a certain question. You should say to yourself, wherefore is the therefore, therefore? Therefore which is a weird way of saying, why is that there? 
What does he mean, therefore? Therefore means I am drawing a conclusion. Based on what I said before, now I can move on to the next point and I can draw a conclusion based on what just happened. So if we look at that in scripture, we recognize when we see therefore, we should go back to the verses that came before that and see. So what are you using here to draw your next conclusion here, Paul? So we see what happened at the end of chapter one is Paul is telling certain stories about certain people and the way things have gone in their lives. So what we could see is that Paul said there were certain people who had turned away from him, turned away from God's truth, turned away from trying to spread the faith. And so what Paul is trying to say is, you know, some people, they have just gone off and they've done their own thing. But there have been others who have stayed strong and continued with the mission that we have been given. So you, Timothy, understand there's a temptation for you to just go your own way and do your own thing, to just give up. Timothy, don't be one of those that gives up. Paul was like a spiritual father to Timothy, so he calls him my son. You, my son, don't let that happen to you. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And as we think about that idea, that's an important concept for us to consider to apply to our own lives. Where would we be today without God's grace? When I hear about people suffering on the other side of the world, I have to stop and realize, wow, apart from God's grace, that could have been me. When I hear the news about people committing crimes and all these horrible things and all this other kind of stuff, I have to think, wow, you know what? Apart from God's grace, that could have been me. Anything good in my life today is only because of the grace of God in my life. It's not because I earned it, I deserved it, I am worthy. It's only because a gracious and kind God has been so loving as to give me so many things that I don't deserve. We see this idea repeated in so many places throughout scripture. As we think about the Christian life, we see God's word has a lot to say about grace. We see that listed there in your worship guide and that's gonna pop up on the screen here as well. Grace is the core of the gospel. Ephesians 2.8, we're saved not because of the good stuff that we've done, we are saved by the grace of God just because of his love and his kindness. We are to grow, we see in 2 Peter, grow in this idea of grace. What motivates our service for the Lord? It's grace. We can approach the throne of grace in times of need. What sustains us in our trials? Grace. Our lives even are to testify of God's grace. We see that in Acts chapter 20 where Paul says, man, my whole life, I just want that to be a story, a reflection of God's grace, and I want everybody around me to be able to see that. Timothy needed this kind of encouragement, this challenge for his ministry, and you and I, we need it as well. If we're gonna be a hero maker, if we're gonna rise up to make heroes of the people all around us, it's gonna start with this. This is the kind of person we must be. We've got to be strong in grace to understand it, to live it, and to thank God for it every day, not only for us, but also for the people all around us. This is what we see from Stephen Cole. He quotes this, he says, to be a fruitful Christian, you must be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It will cause you to revel often in his amazing grace that saved you. It will sustain you as you serve him. It will flow through you to others to attract them to Christ because his grace is supremely attractive. I know that as other people have dealt with me in the past, I don't always live up to the expectations of other people. I don't always live up to my expectations of myself. 
I think all of us probably would admit that there are gonna be times where we need some grace from other people. If we're gonna love, if we're gonna serve, if we're gonna influence, we've got to be willing to extend grace to other people in our lives. We know from scripture that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. As we extend that kindness to others, they're gonna be drawn to Christ because we are willing to be people who are gracious and kind, reflecting the love of God as he calls us to. Second thing here we see in this passage is not only is there a person we must be, number two, there is a task you must fulfill. There's a task that we have been given to fulfill. That's what Paul said to Timothy, and that's what God would say to us this morning as well. And I just want to camp out here a few minutes. We're going to spend a little bit longer on this point than the others, because this principle is so incredibly important. In verse two, Paul says this. He says, the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these, the faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. Author Dave Ferguson talks about this in a book that he wrote called Hero Maker. He says, in this verse, we have four generations of mentoring that are happening. We see the first generation. This is in your worship guide. We'll see it on the screen. The first generation is from Jesus to Paul. We said a while ago that Paul had this radical encounter with Christ, and he was changed by that. So Jesus had poured into Paul, and now second generation, Paul passes it on to Timothy. But it's not intended to stop with Timothy. The third generation, we see Timothy now passes it on to reliable people with the intent that fourth generation, those reliable people continue to pass it on and they pass it on to others. Hopefully, this kind of process has played out a little bit in your life in some way or another. Hopefully, you've had some good mentors along the way. Think for a second about your own past. Who has influenced you to be the person that you are today? We can learn lots of good things from family members, from parents, from grandparents, but sometimes there's also other people who come to step into our lives to give us the help and the direction that we need. Maybe it was a teacher, maybe it was a coach, maybe somewhere along the way there was an older person in the church who poured into you. When I was in seminary, one of my mentors was a professor by the name of Bill Jones. He taught a lot of the classes that I was in for my program, but he also would pull me aside from time to time and just like teach me stuff, personal things about life and ministry and leadership. I learned so many good things from him. He was also working with a college ministry at a local church there at the time, so he involved me in the ministry there, and he gave me some leadership responsibilities, and he helped me learn what it was like to lead and to be effective and to do these things in ministry. So many things that he passed along to me helped me learn and to grow so much along the way. There was another mentor of mine at that same time, a guy by the name of Adrian Dupre. Adrian was a full-time evangelist. He would talk and try, he would speak to big crowds and talk to all these groups and travel around place to place. And man, this dude was fired up. He was always so excited about God, so excited to share the truth of God's word, but he was also so humble. And he passed on that humility to other people that he was investing in. He was a hero maker, a discipler, a mentor for lots of different guys. There was a certain day where I was meeting with Adrian at a Waffle House. We were doing an early morning breakfast because he had other things he was going to get to. And as we came to the end of the meal, the server brings the check, puts it there on the edge of the table. And I thought, okay, yeah, we'll get to that in a minute, but we're still talking. And I knew as soon as our meeting was done, Adrian was going to meet with this other guy named Jeremy. Jeremy was another guy that Adrian met with 
with and he was gonna do something with him after. So Jeremy walks into the restaurant because it was about time for Jeremy to meet up with Adrian. Jeremy walks over to the table, doesn't say a word, doesn't even look at us. First thing he does is grabs the check, walks right over to the register and pays for both of our meals. And I was like, what? No way. Dude, that guy barely even knows me and he's willing to serve and he's willing to sacrifice for me. Wow, that's crazy. And by the way, I need to hang around this dude more often. Hey, I like how this works. But I appreciated that fact that, whoa, this dude is just looking to serve the people around him. And that's something that has stuck out with me ever since that time. Adrian is also the kind of person who would talk to anybody about God anywhere, anytime. There was a time Adrian and I were going through a drive-thru and we went to Hardee's. And so we order the food and then we go up to the window and the guy giving us our food, he must have been a manager. He was all dressed up in a tie, looking official. So he gives us the food and all that stuff. And so Adrian was the driver and Adrian says to this guy, hey, thanks for the food. And then before he drives away, he says, can I tell you something weird? And I'm sitting in the seat beside him thinking, oh, buddy, what's he going to say now? You have no idea. So Adrian says to the Hardy's manager, you know what? Man, me and this guy over here, we are so in love with God, we're about to blow up. Isn't that weird? And I was like, oh, that sounds a little bit weird to me. I was just kind of laughing to myself. I have no idea how this guy's going to respond. And so the manager's just like, uh, no. That's not weird. You guys have a good day. And he was kind of walking away. I had no idea. What do you say in response to that? But Adrian was just like, I don't care. I just love God. I don't care who knows it. That kind of passion was just so cool to be around. I learned a lot from the passion for God that I saw in him. We could pick up so many great things from others who come alongside us to mentor us, those who have gone farther along the road than we have, and we have that chance to soak up what's been passed on to us and then transfer that on to other people. For Paul, we saw how that chain worked going from Jesus through Paul to Timothy, through Timothy to others and to others beyond that. But what we didn't see in that graphic just a minute ago is the role that another certain person played in Paul's life. That was a guy by the name of Barnabas. Some of you guys might be familiar with Barnabas. We read about him in the book of Acts. Barnabas was nicknamed the son of encouragement. And this is what we see about the life of Barnabas. In Acts chapter 4, verse 37, Barnabas sells his land in Jerusalem and gives all the proceeds to the apostles for the ministry of the church. He was among the earliest to convert to Christianity, and he quickly rose up to a position of prominence and respect among the believers. And so as this guy is learning and growing in his faith and as he takes on different leadership roles and opportunities, he comes across this certain person named Paul. And there are three really pivotal things that Barnabas did in Paul's life to help him to get established and to become the leader that he eventually became. Number one, as we see it right there on the screen, Barnabas believed in Paul's potential and helped him establish credibility. There's a scene in Acts chapter nine where Paul has now had this encounter with Christ. He had the rep, hey, you're that terrorist. You're that one who kills people who are Christ followers. You are trying to shut down the church. But when he had an encounter with Christ, he was changed. And then he goes to join up with other believers and say, hey, I'm just like you. Let's work together. And those other believers, they're like, hold up. No, 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 you stay back, dude. I know about you. I don't trust anything you're saying. You just want to come in here so you could kill us all and ruin what we're doing. We don't want any part of you, Paul. But Barnabas, Barnabas steps up and he says, you know what? Hey, 
I know this guy, Paul. He is a changed person. Paul is a good guy. Paul knows his stuff. Paul is gonna contribute to our work. We need to accept him as a brother and we need to work together. And because Barnabas said it, all of a sudden everything is okay. Barnabas helped Paul establish credibility among the other believers. Paul was the kind of guy that was never going to have much of a reputation in a good way unless somebody was willing to vouch for him. But as soon as Barnabas did, then it all worked out. Number two, we see that Barnabas also invited Paul to assume ministry responsibilities. There's a scene in Acts chapter 11, those verses there, verses 20 through 26. Barnabas travels and he arrives in a place called Antioch. And he sees, man, there is incredible stuff happening here in Antioch. All these people are coming to know Christ. They're fired up. They want to learn. They want to grow. You know who needs to get involved with this? Paul. Paul needs to. So he leaves Antioch, goes to Tarsus to find him, brings Paul back to Antioch, and they start working together so they can start teaching and training and building up the believers and spreading the mission of the church. Barnabas had this sense where he says, I see the good in other people. I want to help them to grow and develop. So as he invites Paul into this position of responsibility, they become ministry partners and the work can spread that much more because of Paul's involvement in it. Number three, another thing we see here is that Barnabas, he stepped aside eventually to help Paul reach his full potential. Acts 13, we see what's happening as the people travel to an island by the name of Cyprus. And on this island of Cyprus, there's somebody who rises up to oppose the work that they're doing, trying to shut them down. But what happens is Paul rises up and he strikes the person with blindness and all these crazy things unfold. But what we can see happen at that time is because Barnabas had been the one who's investing in Paul and setting him up for ministry opportunities. You'll notice as you're reading through Acts, the language, cha the language changes at that point. There's a slight shift in the wording. The language goes from describing their events as Barnabas and Paul did this. Barnabas and Paul did that. Now all of a sudden we see Paul and his companions went out and we did this and they traveled here and they did that. Paul and his companions did such and such. Some people would say, hey, Barnabas lost his leadership here. But others would recognize, no, actually, this was an incredible demonstration of exceptional leadership. Barnabas said, I'm not looking for the spotlight. I'm willing to step aside, and I want Paul to be the one who could take the ministry forward to the next level. That is quite all right with me. Paul did these same kind of things with other people that he was working with. We see this with Timothy. We see this with Titus. On his third missionary journey, Paul left Timothy behind to pastor the church in Ephesus. He installed Titus in a pastoral role on the island of Crete. In 2 Timothy 4.10, we see that Titus is being commissioned to another role in Dalmatia, a pagan country along the Adriatic Sea. So these kinds of things are happening and it's being spread from one person to the next. That's a little snapshot of what it looked like for Paul. But my question today is, what does that look like for you? What are you doing right now in your life that will last forever? Because there are distractions, there's competitions, there's all kinds of things vying for your time, for your attention, for your energy. And we want to be able to figure out, what am I doing though that'll last forever? How am I really investing in the people around me to build them up in Christ? What are we doing to be hero makers? Now, I recognize some people would be quick to say, now hold on, I, that was Paul, that was Timothy, 
I'm not qualified for all that stuff. I mean, God couldn't really use me. I can never be like those people in the Bible. Let's think about that for a second. Let's consider these people in the Bible. If we want to think about excuses, um, here's a few. Abraham was too old. Noah was a drunk. Jacob was a liar. Moses was not a good speaker. Rahab was a prostitute. Solomon was too rich. John the Baptist was too poor. Jonah ran away from God. Jeremiah was too depressed. Elijah was suicidal. Paul was a murderer. Martha worried too much. Gideon and Thomas doubted. David committed adultery. Lazarus, he was dead. If we want to make excuses, I think we can recognize, hold on, if God can use those people, God can use me. We can all become hero makers. Mentoring is taking what has been poured into us and passing it on to somebody else. We don't wait till we've arrived, till we have it all figured out, because the secret is none of us have it all figured out. We're all kind of learning as we go. So we don't wait till we've achieved some kind of indefinite state of perfection at some random time in the future. We can take what's already been poured into us and look around and say, hey, who needs to learn this? Who can I help take them to the next level, next stage of development in their lives? Christian author Dale Tedder, he breaks it down this way. He says this, everybody should have a Paul, a Barnabas, a Timothy in their lives. And this is what it looks like, as you see it on the screen there. For the Paul, this is somebody who's traveled further down the road of faith and life than you have. And they step in to offer some mentoring and direction to guide you along the right path. They don't have to be a lot older, but ideally it's somebody who's had a little more time to gain some wisdom that'll be helpful for you to hear. They don't have to be necessarily chronologically older at all. Just somebody who's developed a little bit farther than your faith, your maturity, your level of understanding. Somebody who can pass some things along to you that'll be helpful for you to hear. We also need a Barnabas. This Barnabas, this is somebody who comes alongside us to encourage us, to hold us accountable in our faith, in our life. This is a mutual connection, basically a spiritual friendship where you are both lifting each other up and growing together. But we should also look around and say, how can I have a Timothy in my life? Timothy is the one that you help to guide along the road of faith. This is a person who hasn't traveled quite as far as you have in their walk with Christ, but they have a humble teachability and eagerness to grow. Ideally, this is a person looking to become a Paul themselves one day so they can repeat this process with other people. And talking about the cycle of mentoring, Tedder says this, he says, this is a process in a man's life that ought to last a lifetime and be produced, reproduced, and multiplied over and over again throughout the course of the man's lifetime, as well as in the lives of the men he invests in. We are Christians today, humanly speaking, because those who went before us were faithful to this process. So what about us? I mean, how do we get these kind of relationships in our lives? How do we get these people Number one, the first step is that we pray. Ask God to show you who you can learn from, who can come alongside you for spiritual encouragement, and who can you pour into. As God lays certain people on your heart, just initiate the conversation. Maybe you approach a potential Paul and say, hey, could we meet sometime? I just want to ask you a few questions to learn what I can about the things you've experienced in your life. 
Maybe you go up to a possible Timothy and you say, hey, I just see God working in your life. I see this potential in you and I just wanna help you rise up to fulfill your potential. Is there a time that maybe we can meet? I could maybe, we could talk through some things. I could help you develop to get to the next level. Maybe you set up regular meetings or informally just do life together. Maybe you meet every once in a while with certain topics that you're gonna cover. It'll look different for everybody and every situation, but these are the relationships that will make a huge difference in your life. It'll make a difference not only in your life, it would make a huge difference throughout our church. How much stronger would our church be if all of us were doing these kinds of things? See, these are the kinds of things that we're looking to do with for the students in our church. Some of you guys have been thinking, wait, isn't he the youth pastor? Surely at some point he's gonna talk about teenagers, right? Yes, you are right, and now is that time. We were blessed, as you heard from Pastor Matthew, blessed to be a part of Fuge Camp at Liberty University a few weeks ago. Our speaker there was a youth ministry professor at Liberty, and he said the ages, he was talking to all of our students, he said the ages between 14 and 22, man, those are the most important times of your life. Those are the times that we basically have a choice. Are we gonna build or are we gonna burn? We have an opportunity to build a solid foundation that is gonna set us up for success later in life through the choices we make and the things that we commit to during that time. Unfortunately, some people choose to burn away those years to say, oh, I'm young, I'll have fun, I'm just a kid, I'll just do whatever, and maybe I'll just catch up later. The problem is some people never fully recover from the decisions they made at that point in their lives. So are we gonna build or are we gonna burn? What's so critical is that between those ages of 14 and 22, so many things are being developed in our minds, our morals, our values, our worldviews, our ideas about God, concepts of our identity, our career path, many times our spouse, even the prefrontal cortex in our brain is under development throughout that stage of life. The prefrontal cortex is what helps us think through logic and consequences of the choices that we make and all those kinds of ideas. So if you've ever had a situation with a teenager and they made maybe not the most wise choice in a current situation and you ask them, what were you thinking? And their response is, huh? They were maybe just being honest. I mean, we don't always have all the stuff developed in our cortex for that time of our life. So, you know, maybe they really couldn't help it. Maybe they could, but maybe they couldn't help it. The prefrontal cortex, it's under development. All these things are happening. We're changing, we're growing, we're becoming who we're gonna be through the rest of our adult years. And so we can think about these kinds of ideas and we can consider what does it look like for us for me, I think if I can reflect back on my own path from when I was trying to be a hero to trying to become a hero maker, I could think back to about this time in my life, in my early 20s. I had an opportunity to start doing a Bible study at a juvenile detention center. I had not planned for that kind of thing at all. When I went to college, I was a business major. When I finished college, I was a paralegal in downtown Richmond. I was thinking, all right, maybe business, maybe law. I don't know what I'm really gonna do here. And although I was a Christian, if I'm gonna be honest, really, my life was kind of all about me. What I was thinking most about is how am I gonna build up my bank account? How am I gonna get awesome houses and cars and all that fun stuff? In my own mind, I kind of wanted to be the hero. 
But then I got involved in this ministry opportunity, and I'm sitting in a room of all these teenage guys, guys who had committed all kinds of different crimes and things like that. They weren't old enough for the federal prison system yet, the penitentiary, so they were in this juvenile detention center for the time being. And I got a chance to do Bible studies with these guys, and I was amazed how little Bible they knew. They hadn't gotten any training. I kind of assumed everybody's like me, right? I mean, everybody grows up in church, everybody knows right and wrong and Bible stories and all this good stuff, but I was amazed. Even the most simple, basic things, they had no idea. And I was like, wow, it is heartbreaking to recognize the effect that not knowing anything about God and God's word, the effect that has had upon their lives. This has changed everything for them. Not only has it made their lives worse, it's made the lives of everybody around them worse. They have no direction. They need guidance. They need help. So how could I just sit back in my own little corner, in my own little world, and make everything all about me when there are people around me who have such desperate needs? How could I be a hero when I have the opportunity to be a hero maker? And that's about the time in life where I really started praying and seeking God and trying to say, God, what do you want me to do with the rest of my life? And that's, I feel like what God was laying upon me at the time. Look, you need to stop trying to be the hero and you need to invest your life in being a hero maker. Why don't you serve? Why don't you invest? Why don't you try to build up the people around you? And that's not to say that all of us are supposed to do ministry full time, but I do believe that there are a lot of us that have ministry opportunities, maybe all around us, chances to invest in relationships to help the people around us get from where they are to the next level and whatever that looks like. This is what we wanna see happen for our students here at Crosslink. Our mission is to help our students to know God, grow in their faith, and then go make disciples. We're looking for Timothys that we can plug into small groups to form Barnabas connections to help them grow into Pauls who can impact the world around them. We want to see transformation on our local school campuses all around us as the power of God works in and through our students. We can't just think about being heroes ourselves. We got to be hero makers as we mentor the next generation. And man, why is this a big deal? There are so many reasons as to why this is so incredibly critical. Here's a few to consider. Here's what we know. Generation Z, those born between 1999 and 2015, they're considered the first truly post-Christian generation. More than any other group before them, Gen Z does not claim any religious identity. They might be spiritual, but without any basis in the Bible and Christianity. Most of them see church as unimportant. Percentage of Gen Z that identifies as atheist is double that of the U.S. adult population. The downward trend that started many years ago with baby boomers has shown that a smaller proportion of each subsequent generation is raising their kids with Christian values. And those who do retain faith many times go for a watered-down version of sporadic church attendance and just celebrating Christian holidays more like cultural events without their original meaning. Gen Z is exposed to more diverse perspectives than any generation before them. They have more access than ever to information about alternative views. They're the most ethnically, racially, and religiously diverse generation in the U.S. And they live in a culture of choice, self-actualization, and freedom of expression. 
Stronger Christian commitment has been shown to decrease drug abuse, promiscuity, and depression, and to promote higher grades in school. But this generation is missing out. This is the world that our kids are growing up in. This is the world that our grandkids are growing up in. According to one recent report, the church is on track to lose over one million evangelical youth per year between now and 2050. We have desperate needs all around us. This is a critical mission that we need to adopt. But on the flip side of things, here's what else we know. Nearly two out of three Americans who accept Christ as their savior do so before age 18. We know that kids and teenagers are the most spiritually open demographic in our community. We know that not only are they more likely to come to Christ, they can spread the gospel faster and further than the rest of us. According to Pew Research, the average teenager has 425 online and face-to-face friends. The average teenager's social media reach is more than four times the size of the average church. Teenagers have exponential potential for gospel impact. As we commit to being hero makers among our students, we'll see teenagers who are inspired, equipped, and mobilized for the gospel. These are the types who hang on to their faith after graduation and continue to advance God's kingdom for the rest of their lives. The fired up passion they have as teenagers can carry over into their adulthood years and revolutionize churches all over our nation. Making and multiplying student disciples will build much healthier churches for both today and tomorrow. So this is why we've got to pass on faith from one generation to the next. Maybe it's with students, maybe it's with kids, maybe it's with the adults that God has placed in your life. Whoever it is, all of us have the opportunity to look around, to think, who can I be a hero maker for among those God has placed within my sphere of influence? There is a task that we must fulfill. And our third point we want to consider today is that there is a price you must pay. A price you must pay. It's a price for me. It's a price for you. It's a price for all of us. What Paul does next is he uses a few different examples of what we can think about in terms of everyday life people. He says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service gets all entangled with the affairs of everyday life. He's got to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete, they're only going to win the prize if they compete according to the rules. The hardworking farmer, he ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Three examples here. With the soldier, we can recognize the soldier, they're willing to suffer hardship. They know they are preparing for battle. The marine recruiter will tell you, hey, you get an all-expense-paid trip to Paris Island, South Carolina. Doesn't that sound like a nice vacation? Well, actually, that's boot camp. That's where you get to deal with drill sergeants. When soldiers travel to different places around the world, they don't come back bragging about the resorts they stayed in, all the friends they made among the locals. They're not showing you the touristy pictures they took along the way. No, they were on a very specific mission with a single-minded focus. Everywhere they went and all they were doing, their job was to please the commanding officer, and they concentrated on that at all times with a single-minded focus. 
I think the same thing can be a good challenge and a good reminder for us nowadays because we also have this tendency sometimes, this temptation to get entangled in all the affairs of life that are going on all around us. How many times are we tempted to take on the values of the culture all around us, to start thinking like society wants us to think, to allow ourselves to be squeezed into the mold of what the world wants me to be? That's out there for all of us. But for followers of Christ, our commander is Jesus Christ alone. He is the only one that we take orders from. We've got to be willing to pay the price, just like a soldier would. We also see this idea of an athlete. As I think about athletics, I'm kind of excited about the Olympics. It's going to be up here in a few weeks. The 2020 Olympics, now the 2021 Olympics, are going to be happening starting up on July 23rd. And as I think about the Olympics, I think about this guy. I wonder if anybody can recognize him. Who is that? Michael Phelps, the little MP on his shirt probably gives it away if you didn't recognize his face already. Michael Phelps is one of the most, if not the most, decorated Olympic athletes ever in terms of the gold medals that he's won and all the different competitions and races and all that stuff where he was the victor. These are some things that we know about the price paid by Michael Phelps. He would train in the pool six days a week and he would swim eight miles every day. In addition to that, he would work out with weights three times a week, and he would change up his exercise plan all the time, so he never got comfortable, never got settled, he didn't want to allow his body to adapt to any set routine. As a part of his training regimen, this is what Phelps would eat. Three fried egg sandwiches, an omelet, a bowl of grits, three slices of French toast, three chocolate chip pancakes, and two cups of coffee, and that was just breakfast. Throughout the day, he would consume 12,000 calories a day. That's what his training regimen called for. And it was crazy, the stuff he did, the lengths that he went to, to be victorious in the races that he won. But the Bible tells us athletes do not win the prize unless they compete according to the rules. I want to show you another picture of a somewhat lesser known athlete. This is my nephew, It's a little bit dark there. I don't know know how well you can see it, but this is my nephew, Holden. Holden lives in the Richmond area. He's been here to visit us and come to Crosslink a time or two. Holden, when he was in high school, he was a cross-country runner. So what happens in cross-country is all the runners line up the starting line, and then they take off for the race. But the race follows this long, windy course. You're going sometimes uphill, downhill, around the bend, around the corner, rugged terrain and all kinds of things you'll encounter along the way. And so you've got to be diligent and you've got to be doing everything you need to do to be successful by the time the end of the race comes to you. Holden was in a certain race one day and we see he's hoisting the big trophy because he was the winner of that race. What happened in that race was all the runners took off at the start and then they all kind of separated themselves along the way because they're running at different levels of speed and pace and different strategies in their mind as to how they're going to approach it. And so Holden was making his way around the course and he's going through the woods and turning here, turning there, up and down and every which way. And finally he gets to a clearing and he sees the finish line in front of him and nobody else is there at the finish line. So he has a chance to be the winner. So he's running and he's stroking and he's going hard and he's so excited. He crosses the finish line and he was the first one. So then he stands there and he's starting to wait for the other runners. And he's waiting. And he's waiting. 
and he's waiting. Turns out every other runner in the race got lost along the way. They didn't follow directions along the course. They were supposed to go this way. Well, they went that way. They were supposed to do this. Well, they did that. Holden was the only one who followed the directions all along the way. So he was the one who won. I don't know that he was necessarily the fastest runner that day, but he was definitely the smartest. We can give him that. And so what the runners that day learned is that no athlete is going to win the prize unless they compete according to the rules. Same things are true for us as we navigate our way through life. God's word gives us signposts, gives us guidance, provides directions. So if we can pivot and turn and move according to the way that God directs us, we're going to find success in the end. If we get off course, if we start doing our own thing, we're going to end up lost in the woods somewhere. We want to recognize that, yeah, there's a price to pay and we've got to be diligent all along the way. We recognize, too, Paul talks about the farmer. He says, the farmer, think about him. Farmers, they work constantly. We have a number of farmers in our church and I bet they'd all tell you the same thing. If you ever leave a field to itself, eventually you're going to become the proud owner of a whole bunch of weeds. Farming takes diligence, patience, perseverance. You're waiting for the next rain, waiting for the next harvest. There's no shortcuts allowed. There's work, there's diligence, there's so much that goes into it. But in the end, there's a reward. All three of these examples, with the soldier and the athlete and the farmer, there is a price you must pay. As we serve the needs of those around us and make heroes, there will be inconveniences and sacrifices that we've got to make in our lives but there is a reward at stake. Soldiers prevail in battle and defend our freedom. Athletes overcome the competition and claim medals. Farmers reap the harvests they have worked so long for. In those moments, they see all the blood, sweat, tears they poured in were worth it. As we rise up to make disciples and leaders to impact one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, We've got to be willing to pay the price. It will not be easy, but man, will it be worth it. Imagine how eternity can be entirely different because of the commitments we make to these relationships today. There is nothing like being used by God to bring lasting change in the lives of those around us. Maybe you would say, yeah, this whole idea, you know, this is kind of a new concept. As we consider the conclusion here, and we look at the last verse of our passage, Paul says this. He says, consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. What Paul said to Timothy is what the Holy Spirit would also say to us. Consider what you've heard today. Look for understanding as to how this can apply to your life. For you, maybe you hear about strong and grace and you're like, man, I have never really experienced that kind of grace for me. I've never surrendered my life to Christ and known how I can really see God's grace at work in my life on a daily basis. Today, you can do that very thing. We're going to have Pastor Scott come out in just a minute and lead us in a time of worship. If that's a decision that you want to make today, you'll have a chance to do that because God created us to be with him. We've committed sin, however, and that sin separates us from having the relationship with God that we were meant to have. Only way that sin can be removed is by recognizing that Jesus died on the cross in our place, taking that sin upon himself so we don't have to deal with it any longer. 
you can trust Christ today and start a relationship with him that will last forever. Maybe you have experienced grace. Maybe you've made a decision to follow Christ. And so what we want to think about today is what have we done with all that has been poured into us? Maybe there's other people around you that need that truth. Maybe there's somebody that you can start investing in. Maybe you can approach somebody who's farther along in their journey than you are and ask them, how can you help me with my own spiritual growth? Pray that God will give you understanding. Who are the potential Pauls and Barnabases and Timothys in your life? Let's be faithful to do what God is calling us to do in response. When we have our time of worship to wrap things up here, we'll have some time to think and to pray and to reflect. And when the service wraps up, we'll have some people that'll be up front and they'll be available to talk to you, to counsel with you, to help with any decisions that you might like to make in response to the truth of God's word as it's been shared here today. We're gonna ask Scott to come forward to close us out in our time of worship. And so this is the chance that we have to think about this final verse that we see in our passage. Consider what has been said to us today. Consider what we can do in response to what Paul has passed on to Timothy, what Timothy is passing on to the people around him, and what God wants to do in us and through us. So this truth can continue from one to the next, to the next, to the next. It's not gonna be simple, it's not gonna be short, it's not gonna be something that we can just coast through. It's an opportunity for us to make a serious commitment to build up those around us, to invest in eternity. We'll turn it over to Pastor Scott now. Before we do, let's close out our time with a word of prayer. Father, we just give you thanks this morning because we know that you love us. God, more than anybody else ever could. Lord, we know that you have extended infinite, limitless grace to us so that we can be forgiven of our sin, so that we can have a relationship with you that we were meant to have, one that goes throughout this life and then carries on throughout eternity. And Lord, because you have been so good and so kind to us, I pray that you would help us to extend that same kind of grace to others all around us and our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to not look to be a hero ourselves, but to be a hero maker. Lord, to set up others for success, to help others to go farther than we have ever gone ourselves, because we want to see the faith continue from one generation to the next. God, I pray that you would be with us. Give us guidance and wisdom as we ponder this truth, as we make decisions today that you would have us to make. We pray that you would be glorified in our lives, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.